And I got a wild one for you today. Okay. So getting to that, Melissa, if I were to say Michael Jackson scandal. Okay. Hollywood production company CEO. Okay. Wealthy heiress. Mysterious death. Scams. What goes through your mind? Ooh. Um, <laughs> a lot. A lot. I'm like, <laughs> what, what would this be? What would this be? As you know, I work in the film and TV industry as an executive right. producer on documentaries. Yeah. On multi-million dollar productions. Um, I have a blast with my job. So I'm thinking the Hollywood connection, uh, probably private funding money for some kind of project mm. in the documentary mm. space? Well, documentary, yes. <laughs> Projects, sure. Um, money, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's so get, to, let's yeah, get let's, into let's, it. Let's get all right, this it. is a doozy. This is actually my own personal story. It's something I went through and experienced along with my colleagues who were all, are also my very good friends. And um, it's a wild one, so buckle up. And let's get into it. I am calling this episode The Heiress Who Hustled Hollywood. Ooh, okay. okay. So um, in 2016, I was working. So before I became a podcaster and, you know, before you and I met oh, for almost 20 years, I worked in commercial banking. So I could see that. Yeah. Oh, could you? Yeah. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I worked at City National Bank in Beverly Hills. I was in their commercial lending unit. So me and my team, we would um, lend money to businesses. So namely when they wanted to buy a commercial building to operate their business out of, we would finance it. And I got really close with my direct boss and a few of my colleagues who also worked at that same bank. We would go out on calls together get coffee, get drinks after work sometimes, you name it. And around that time, 2016, 2017, my direct boss and his boss, who was like the EVP of our unit, the big boss of our commercial lending unit, they got recruited to go over to another bank called Bank of California. And they were tasked, this happens in banking a lot. Okay. They steal teams. Like if you're doing well at one Why? bank. Why would they steal a team? Because banks want to make money. And if you have a good commercial lending unit who's out there making profitable loans to business mm -hmm. owners, they want that team at their bank to Do go. Do they make commission on <laughs> loans? Uh, yeah, I, I would make commission. So like whoever did the loan. So if mm -hmm. I did a $10 million loan for a business owner to buy a building, I, I was a salaried employee with benefits. And then we also got incentives. Every time we did a new loan, we got money on top of that. It was very oh. lucrative. And the banks make a ton of money on loans. That is their bread and butter. So um, whatever rate you charge a client, you know, they're, they're making money on top of that. They're making money on the loan fees that you charge, like the, the recurring interest income coming in every month. Like I'm getting into the weeds, but it's That's fascinating. Yeah. So teams, commercial lending units get, so me and my direct boss, his boss, and a few of my colleagues, we all got recruited to go work at bank of California. But you said no. Well, Why? Oh, I a hundred percent was on that train because I'm like, I will work at almost any bank as long as I'm with my team. And I had worked with this team for a while Okay. and we were all really close. We all were good at our jobs 
and we were desirable to this other bank. And so it's like, if we're going to take one, we're going to take all of you. And we all wanted to stick together. So my direct boss was like letting us know kind of in secret, because you don't want to let the bank know that you're about to leave, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're like, hey, we got this opportunity. Um, But I couldn't go right away to Bank of California. I kind of had to stay where I was and keep things quiet because I was under contract for at least a year. If it if what? I, you're under contract only in the sense that I could have left, but I would have lost my signing bonus that I got to oh, work at the bank. Okay. Said I'm like, I need, I want the money, you know? So I would have had to give up my signing bonus. And that's what happens. A bank, a lot of times when you get recruited to go work at a commercial bank, they're like, we'll pay you X amount of money as a signing bonus, but you have to sign saying you'll be with us at least a year. Okay. And if you leave, you lose. So my boss was like, cool, just be quiet. Don't act like you're coming with us later business as usual. So I stayed at the bank in Beverly Hills for a few months, but I did eventually leave as soon, literally like the day after my signing bonus, you know, contract, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm putting was it in, in your Google calendar. It was a hundred percent in my Google calendar, but I day did the professional I thing. Leave. I gave them two weeks notice. So long story short, at that point in 2017, my boss from the previous bank, his boss, myself, and like four other colleagues who we'd worked together we all were now at Bank of California in downtown LA. So I still had a commute, but it was a little better than Beverly Hills. Um, but it was a great opportunity. There was some negative press going into it, which I'll get into. Basically, in 2016, there were allegations that came out that Bank of California, the bank that I was now at, their former CEO had ties to a con man. And then once that those allegations hit the press, uh-huh. the Bank of California stock just took a dive. And that was right on the heels of us joining Bank of California. So, but we're like, (laughs) they were paying us nicely. I was going to be with my team. We were all like, look, if this doesn't work out, we'll go together to another bank. That's just kind of how it works. Like there'll be opportunities. And um, there was also a former Bank of California employee who sued the bank um, and claimed that the CFO of Bank of California had taken Bank of California employees to strip clubs on the bank's dime. And there was a quote in the paper. And again, this is all right as we joined this bank. There was a quote in the paper of the person suing the bank saying, it was a den of iniquity featuring on-premises sex, drugs, and strippers. So, and when I got there, there was all this gossip. And I know, you know, I'm not going to spill the tea because I don't know what's true, what's Mm -hmm. not. But we all knew about the sex, drugs, and strippers quote, you know, we knew knew there was some shit going on. Anyway, my colleagues and I, when we got there, we would do exactly what we did at the other Beverly Hills bank. We would go out and solicit businesses uh, to lend money to typically it would be commercial real estate. And our boss and his boss, who was again, the EVP of uh, the commercial lending unit would often get involved in our deals. So for example, if I had a larger client, let's say they had a big business in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and they wanted to buy a $20 million real estate, like a piece of commercial real estate, it's considered a larger deal. And so I would bring my boss and his direct boss on the call sometimes. Me and my team, we were to go out and solicit business. And if we got somebody who was interested, like, yeah, you know, I am looking for a building. I'll let you guys take a look at my financial package, see if you guys can finance it. 
it would be our job to go and gather all their financial statements for the last three years, all their tax Do you returns. you normally work with their CPA and just go back and forth with them? A lot of times, yeah. yeah. So, it, Or they have like a controller or CFO within the company that would provide it to us. Usually companies, when they get to a certain size, they have an internal controller on payroll or a CFO who deals with the bankers and is like gives us everything that we need to analyze whether you can borrow this money from us. Oh, that's great. And that's what we did. So, um, you know, but... My point is, it's it wasn't our job to do a deep dive into the financials. Our job was to gather the financial package, knowing the amount of money that they potentially want to borrow, and doing a quick analysis to see, like, does this pass the sniff test? Does it look like this is worth me passing this on to the next level, our credit analyst team, to see, like, yes, because you can't just, like, throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get any respect if you're a salesperson and go out and go, yeah, they want to borrow $20 million for a building. Here's all their financials. And then that's you, a waste of time. Yeah, and you come to find out they just, they're about to go bankrupt. They, so you're not like a TJ Maxx, like, do you want to apply for a store credit card? Not at all. <laughs> exactly. And, and listen, we'll just see. I, they like got five minutes. We'll just see if you're pre-approved. Let's just see. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was our job. So, so that's exactly what happened. And we, as a team were really close and every single week we would have these pipeline meetings. So me and my team, it would be my boss. Uh, and then he would have like six of us who do what I did, right? And we would go in these weekly pipeline meetings and we would go up on a whiteboard and talk about all the deals that each of us are working on. So, okay, Jamie, you've got this $8 million real estate deal. How's that going? Where are we at? Is credit looking at the financials? And then it would so on. It would go yeah. on to all of us to explain what we had going on to progress the deals. In late 2017, my colleague, who's still a good friend of mine to this day, um, we got really close working at this bank. He was referred a potential client. And again, that happens a lot. We, as bankers, if you've been doing it a while, you go to conferences and you go have coffee and you have drinks with like real estate brokers, CPAs, lawyers who can refer you their clients, their business clients, if they're and looking for a bank or a real estate It's in their loan. interest too, because they want to know how, how stringent is your underwriting for potential clients that they can... They can then sell property to. Exactly. Wait, do you need a pre-approval letter to buy a commercial property? Generally, yeah. They oh. want something from the bank. It's just like residential. They want oh. something to say, like, yeah, we 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 pretty we're looking good as far as like we would approve this loan. They're you know, and, and that's that usually comes pretty early on, and then we go and like do a deep dive into the financials. But yeah, if it passes the sniff test, we can write a letter. You know, oh. like a pre-approval type deal. They call it something else, but I've forgotten. It's not a pre-approval because that's too strong of language. It's like a letter of interest oh. from the bank, I yeah. think is what they call it. So late 2017, my colleague gets a phone call from um, a referral source of his who happened to be sort of like a big name entertainment lawyer in Beverly Hills. So in the past, I think I told you, so Barry Rothman had represented some really high profile clients. Um, and Barry contacted my colleague and he said, Hey, I've got a client. She is a very wealthy heiress. She is the CEO of a Los Angeles based TV production company called Bellum Entertainment and Bellum Entertainment produces a lot of true crime shows. Some of the cheesy ones that you've seen out there. It's like not what? like, Let it's not see. the high end is stuff. Is it still on the internet? Oh yeah. It's still out I, there. I like, uh, yeah. Okay. Like every, every, every title has a murderer okay. or murdered or, you know, we're going to provide a link <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, in our yeah. show notes. Yeah, now, right? now Bellum Entertainment is no more, but at the time it was, and it was a producer of true crime shows. Is it TV shows. B E L L U M? Correct. Entertainment. 
Okay. So he tells him like, hey, she's the CEO of this big company. She uh, is also a very wealthy heiress. And the heiress that he was talking about was 66-year-old Mary Carol McDonald. So I just Googled it. Um, it's on, I'm on Wikipedia. And it said that the main productions, it was, it was produced by Long Needle Entertainment. Correct. Before. There's a connection. Yeah. Okay. So um, give us some titles. Okay, yeah, I want to. Um, Murderous Affairs mm-hmm. uh, premiered on October 5th, 2016, in the United States on Escape. I don't know that network. Um, I don't the 50, 52 episode series. That's a huge order. Yeah. Today, just so you, for context, today you to sell a TV series, you have to do a premiere, um, a pilot that has to be really big a big story and if it rates well then they'll pick up like four more episodes to make six or 52 episodes yeah they got and that's not the only one that they got that many episodes Mm. on so you know there's many show you know true crime shows that a lot of you listening have probably seen and bellum excuse me bellum entertainment was the production company and so barry explained to my colleague that Mm. mary carroll the wealthy heiress needed a $10 million bridge loan to cover personal expenses until she received her portion of her wealthy family's trust, which was worth about $80 million. So basically a bridge loan is just a short-term loan, you know? And and again, rich people all the time borrow money. It doesn't, you know, like people Mm -hmm. are like, well, if you're rich, why do you need to borrow money? Her, Her need for a $10 million loan was like, look, I'm about to get, um, a distribution of about $80 million from my family's trust. Uh, or I think that was just her portion. It was worth more than that, but she had siblings, but her portion within the next year or so was going to be about $80 million. So she won a payday loan. So she knew exactly, <laughs> it's essentially what it is. Like, yeah. look, give me this 10 million now and I'm going to pay you back when I get my distribution from my family trust. Okay. And so once the trust disbursements began, like I said, she would then go and pay back the bank loan. And again, this is not unusual for rich people to do this. So Bank of California took the meeting on this referral from Barry Rothman and the bank really, like I said, and I know this for a fact, they weren't excited about this loan. The loan was going to go away in like a year, but they wanted those deposits because the bank, I remember going to sales rallies, like the banks have sales rallies and like, you got to drive down to OC, which is where the bank was headquartered and you carpool with all your colleagues and the CEO gets up on the podium and he's like, he, these are his exact words. He's like, deposits, 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 like getting us all hyped up to go out and bring in businesses that would park their deposits at the bank. And of course we wanted to loan them money as well, but at that time the bank needed deposits. And I'm emphasizing this because that's very important to this story. So that is why they took the meeting. So that's exactly what happened. Um, the meeting was arranged at Barry Rothman's high rise office in century city. Um, Mary Carol, the heiress was there as well as three of my colleagues, which would have been the EVP of our group, my direct boss, and my colleague who did the exact same thing that I did for the bank. The three of them went there. They met the heiress for the first time at Barry's office. This was December of 2017. From there, my colleague began doing his job. He started collecting financial documents for the loan, the $10 million loan, tax returns, financial statements, bank statements, you name it. So everything clears. Everything, well, sort of. 
So Barry is acting sort of as the liaison. So Barry Rothman, the lawyer who who referred Mary Carroll to my colleague, um, he sort of acted as the liaison, providing a lot of the necessary documents to the bank. So Mary Carroll wasn't really like super involved in her own loan in the beginning. It would be like call Barry or email Barry and say, okay, we need these tax Is returns. Is that weird? Not really, because sometimes lawyers act in this. I think that's how they kind of presented it. Sometimes a lawyer will act as like their management. You know, this lady's so substantial, they rarely do anything for themselves. They have a person to do that. So it just, it wasn't weird. And they knew each other so well for so many years, Barry and Mary Carol. And my client, or I'm sorry, my colleague knew Barry really well. So it's like, if Barry wants to provide these financials, it wasn't weird. Okay. So starts getting all the, the financials. And we quickly, I say we, my colleagues, because I wasn't involved in this loan, but I heard about it, the process because we would go to lunch together. I heard about it in our pipeline meetings. And we, they realized right away that the deal, meaning the $10 million loan, had warts on it, meaning... This was not an A or a B deal. This was like a C or a D or it was not she, Mary Carol McDonald personally and her business were not strong borrowers. In fact, the bank, if it hadn't been for the deposits that were supposed to come with, it was supposed to be like a couple million dollars in deposits, maybe more, plus the money that she was going to get from her trust. They were hoping that she would park those multi-millions at the bank. So the bank thought they were going to get a lot of deposits. They thought they were going to get $80 million in a future deposit to they loan did. out. They thought they were going to get about That's a couple million right away from her Bellum Entertainment operating account, maybe, you know, get those deposits right away. And then when she gets her distribution from the trust, they'll get those and it'll be great. Yeah, and $80 million is a lot of money you can loan out to other people. Exactly. And make a lot of money off of it. Exactly. That's exactly what the bank was thinking. So although the deal had warts on it, as we say in banking, um, they still pushed forward because they thought, you know what, we can mitigate this risk, meaning like Mary Carroll didn't have the best credit. Um, the her, her company, Bellum Entertainment, wasn't all that strong. Like they're just there were warts on it. But the bank was able to mitigate that risk. Now, whether they should have pushed forward with this loan or not is an argument for another day. But they did, and they actually ended up working toward a $15 million uh, bridge loan, which was going to be like a short-term line of credit. So it started out as 10, somehow it got to 15, and the bank was going to do it as a short-term line of credit. And what they did to mit mitigate the risk of, she's not all that strong of a borrower, is that Mary Carroll had a $28 million investment account at another institution called Northern Trust. The bank was going to put a lien, for lack of a better term. They were going to secure that account at another bank. So if she wasn't able to make her loan payments, they could go and grab that $28 million, pay their $15 million off, and be... Good I'm to go. confused about this other this other bank account. Yeah, this 28 million. Um, would when she provided her financials, did she show that 28 million she did. that it was in that account? She did. Then why wasn't she just tapping that for her bridge loan to because herself? She had reasons for everything. Like I can't touch that money right now because of this, this, or that. Like. She had a story for, for everything. Like, hey, I'm not really touching that money. It's sitting there. It's earning interest. But I'm more than willing to pledge it as collateral if that's what you need to get this 
$15 million loan done. That seems safe enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, for a bank, there's nothing better, no better source of collateral than cash. Like if you don't make, if you default on this loan, we could just take your cash. Easy peasy, right? Okay. So the bank, and she agreed to it. So they're like, okay, this is how we're going to get around the warts on the deal. We're going to mitigate it by taking uh, a pledge on your investment account, which I'm sure we'll never have to touch because you're going to make your payments. No big deal. So basically in early 2018, as the loan starts to progress, we're all in a pipeline meeting, our regular weekly pipeline meeting, me and my team, my boss is there, my colleagues. And, um, we're talking about all the loans, including Mary Carol's loan and my colleague in passing who was working with her on this loan, which by the way, I'm going to keep saying colleague cause I'm not going to use their names just for, I think obvious reasons. Right. Um, but, uh, so my colleague just in passing is like, Oh, you guys, by the way, we're about to close. Like we're just a few days from closing this loan with Mary Carol. She's going to stop by our office and bring us homemade pies. I guess she's this like really um, talented baker and she wants to thank us for all the hard work we've put in. And I remember, wait, is it like the help? Was it a shit pie? Oh, somebody else has brought that up. Somebody brought that up and they were like, was Did this a shit, shit pie? Did you eat shit? But she was already gone by the time we ate the pie that she brought. Not her putty pie. <laughs> Pudding pie. Put, no, pudding pie. <laughs> I don't want to call it because the other P word is just really aggressive. No, that is disgusting. I'm oh probably going to vomit any second now, but I could totally see her. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. So we ate the pies that she brought and no, they weren't shit pies. And I remember thinking, or pudding, <laughs> definitely wasn't a pudding pie. I hope not. God, that makes me just want to like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have my such a dirty out. mind. I'm sorry. But no, I think you're probably not the only one. I've never really thought about that. But yeah, yeah face down on her face pie. down and not the pie she made, <laughs> not her pie, not her pudding pie. I think you said in her pie. I know because she made it, <laughs> but not, no, ew. So I remember thinking like, that gave me pause because if you know where we worked, we worked in like the 20 something floor of this big high rise building in downtown LA. Mm -hmm. And we weren't a regular bank branch that people could come in and there's tellers and you could withdraw cash. There was no vault. It wasn't a bank branch that customers went to. It was just a big commercial center that different teams of the bank worked at, but no outside clients were really coming in. I mean, every now and then somebody would come in to sign loan documents or something like that. But when you're working with these like wealthier business owners, they don't come to you to sign their loan docs. You always go to them. So with a notary. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. exactly. We would bring a notary and we would go and sign the loan docs at their office. We would take every meeting at their office. So it gave me pause that this extremely substantial wealthy heiress who's the CEO of this big company is going to get in her Porsche. She also has a Porsche, mm-hmm. uh, is going to get in her Porsche from La Cunada and drive to downtown LA and fight traffic and park and come all the way up. Like, I just was like, wow, she's really cool. Like to just bring so considerate. These, so considerate. And mm-hmm. so anyway, she comes in, I will never forget what she was wearing. Um, She, like I said, she's a 66 year old woman at this time. She's kind of on the taller side. She's a white woman. Um, She was wearing what looked to be like an expensive white uh, button up collared shirt with like the sleeves cuffed Mm -hmm. and maybe half tucked in in the back, not tucked, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was wearing these like uh, 
these like boyfriend style, like jeans that were cuffed at the bottom. So you could see her ankle, but like, you know, and she was wearing like these, um, uh, camel color, camel colored, like wedge shoes and a camel colored, what looked to be a Birkin bag to match. So she looked rich. All right. So she walks in, I see her, our pipeline meetings were all held in this room where like all the walls are glass. So you can see everything, everybody walking up. She walks up and I'm like, okay, this checks out. Like she is a wealthy freaking bitch. Like mm -hmm. she's got this Birkin. She had a Birkin in one hand and the pies in the other hand. You didn't know it's probably a mirror one-on-one. -on -one yeah, I was going to say like, who knows if it's really real. Exactly. <laughs> so she comes in and I hopped up out of my chair and wanted to thank her for the pie. So I come out of the meeting and I'm like, hi, Mary Carol. My name's Jamie. I work with so-and-so, my colleague, and um, he's told me all about you. And I'm fascinated by what you do. You make true crime shows. I probably watched half of them. Yada, yada. Nice to meet you. Shook her hand, walked away. That was it. We ate the pies, not her pie, but the pies <laughs> that she made. And that was that. Okay. So moving on, shortly after that, Nothing seemed off. I mean, I did, it give, it gave me pause that she came in because that was extremely rare, especially for somebody as like substantial as her. But I'm like, oh, she's just a really nice person. Nothing seemed off though, other than her bringing us those pies and whatever. February of 2018 rolls around the $15 million short-term line of credit. It closes, it funds. And now Mary Carol is able to call into the bank whenever she wants and draw down money on this line of credit. It's kind of like a credit card, you know, like you can call. So she would call our operations center, which was also in that office that I worked in and be like, hi, it's Mary Carol. We just, you know, you closed a loan for me. I need to draw down a million dollars, go ahead and deposit it into my bank account. So that's what she would do. She did it numerous times in rapid speed. So right after the loan closed, she would call and go, I need $300,000. And every time she asked for a draw, even though her line of credit was approved, draws of that size withdrawals had to be approved again. Like you can't just call and go, I've got a billion dollar line of credit. I'm making up numbers. Mm -hmm. Give me $5 million off that line of credit and transfer it to my account. That $5 million request has to also be approved by somebody high up in Sign credit. Sign off on it. Yes. Okay. So that's what was happening right after the line of credit closed. She immediately started calling. Can I get 500,000? Yeah, sure. They approved it, transferred it to her bank account. What was interesting is her bank account was not yet at Bank of California at that time, even though it was part of the loan agreement that at loan closing, your bank accounts need to be here at Bank of California. Because if you think about it, it's higher risk. Yeah. If those deposits are going outside the bank, it's harder to control. Yeah, external bank transfer. Right. So she would call one day, give me $500,000. They would do it. Okay, I need a million. I need this. At Fa what point though, did if it was supposed to go up to the next level, why didn't that person say, oh, I noticed it's not going into your bank account here. It's going into an external bank account. Right. Uh, per your agreement, we can't approve this until you... And maybe those conversations happen and you're going to find out. I still to this day have so many questions for our credit team at that bank because, spoiler alert, they never should have made this loan. They never should have made this loan. But also I'm seeing here is a lapse in, um, in where she could have been caught just with... Yes. And this isn't the, the only simple, lapse. This simple, um, if you're saying it has to be approved, 
then they approved it. Mm-hmm. Somebody high up. The, so the, the, and I won't name names, but the gentleman who was the chief credit officer for the bank. Now, mind you, this is a like multi-billion dollar asset bank. This isn't like a tiny little podunk bank. So he's a smart guy. And he had been at that bank for many, many, many years. He's the one who approved the $15 million dollar loan. And I am almost positive. I am positive, but I'm almost positive. He was the also the one approving every single draw request that came in. And now I can't answer for why he didn't say, well, let's put a stop to this until you bring your deposits over. Maybe she knew about his strippers. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, what I think, and you're, it's interesting. You're kind of touching on my theory of why he made this. She has some information, maybe. Yeah, or knows who knows? Some things. Like, she oh, knows this some is, things. Give me all the conspiracy theories. Let's go. <laughs> so she, so over a week, maybe two weeks tops time after the loan was approved, she had drawn. $14.2 million of the 15 million was now in her possession at another bank. Okay. Then, um, the next month is when the first payment came due on her line of credit. This is the first time she'd be making a monthly payment. What's a payment like that? Yeah, it's, it? To be honest, it was interest only, I want to say. So she was allowed to make interest only payments. There was no principal being paid down, I think on this loan. That's how they underwrote it. So yeah, it was probably substantial to a lot of people, but that's a pretty darn good deal for a business owner who wants to keep their monthly payments minimal. Mm-hmm. There was no like a uh, principal being paid down. All the principal was going to come at the end when she paid it off in one lump sum, if that makes sense. It was just interest only payments. So the next month rolls around her payments due, but Mary Carol doesn't make her first payment. Now this is a huge red flag. When you're a lender, when you're a bank and you make a loan to somebody, whether it's a hundred dollars or a billion dollars, if they don't make their very first payment, that's a huge red flag. And it sets off all kinds of alarm bells. And, um, it's really bad because the bank is regulated by the government and that's not good on the bank The you know, so it's just, it's bad. So the bank tries to reach Mary Carol they start with like my colleague, right? Because he knew her best. And they're like, oh, give her a call. Maybe she just like slipped her mind or whatever. Can you imagine seeing that in your inbox? You need to call Mary Carol today because she missed her first payment. Yeah. If you're that person yes. who got the loan, getting yeah. that email it would be a pit in your stomach. Like, like oh, oh, shit. First of all, like this is not going well. And two, to make that phone call, you know, like, what are you going to get on the other line? Yeah. Someone like sad, I'm so sorry, or ignored or, or offended, offended that you even oh called. How dare you? Of course I we made the payment. made the payment. Like Anna Delby, <laughs> what are you, stupid? You're so poor. <laughs> she could say that back to her. You're so poor. You're so you poor. Have, you You're so poor. Know. I have people to make payments for me. <laughs> so the bank tries to reach her several times. She's not calling back. So okay, it, so, so she did that method. Right. Just ignore it. And, okay. and so the shit is hitting the fan. They were they're like, okay, fuck. What are we gonna do now? So the chief credit officer, the one who made the loan, who went, the one who ultimately penned the deal, meaning like he signed off on this deal, um, he has an inkling to be like, okay, this is a red flag. Oh, but we have that investment account that if she's gonna continue not making her payments, we'll just call that account. And we'll get that money and we'll pay ourselves off and we will just ride off into the sunset. He's like, I should probably call Northern Trust just to verify that we're good on our cash collateral, right? Like just to make sure. That's a little late though. You think? (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought this phone call was made before the loan was. Well, uh, you would think. So guess <laughs> what happens when he calls Northern Trust and he's like, hi, this is so-and-so, the chief credit officer over at Bank of Cal. You probably know us. Our, cl our mutual client has a $28 million investment account at your bank. I'm just calling to make sure because we've it's pledged as collateral on our loan. Just want to make sure that it's you know secure and that we might be calling on you to get our money. And lo and behold, that employee's like, Mary Carol's not a client. We don't have a client named Mary Carol McDonald. There is no $28 million investment account. The Oops. account doesn't exist. <laughs> and this is the, oh shit. Like the bank is shitting actual bricks at this moment. <laughs> because that's when they know, like, we've been duped. We've been duped. She's not calling us back. She gave us a fake account to secure mm. this. And of course, your first question is, how does such a smart and decent-sized commercial bank with savvy people working there, how do they make a $15 million loan that supposedly has a $28 million deposit account as collateral? How do they not perfect that collateral mm -hmm. before they let her draw on the loan? Right. They didn't do that, clearly. Because yeah. if they would have perfected their lien on that collateral account... You wouldn't be they talking would today about this. Exactly, yeah. that it doesn't exist. So huge blunder. I don't care what is like, it's the biggest blunder. Like they just, it's such a rookie move to this day. I still don't know how it happened because I'm not involved in credit. I don't know what they did or didn't do, but it didn't happen. Yeah. This is the oh shit moment. This is fraud. So, and in fact, they never hear from Mary Carol, and the it's heiress fraud. again. Explain why it's fraud. This is not someone that... This, this is somebody who lied about having a $28 million account. Exactly. It's is fraud. That's why it's fraud? It's fraud on that level. And then they would come to find out on multiple levels. So just initially when they called to verify this collateral account, it doesn't exist. She presented documents saying that it forged, does. Forged then. She forged. It's forged. It's yeah. false. It's fake. It never. So that is fraud. And you cannot do that to a federally regulated government backed loan. Like you just, the federal, you're going to get federal charges. Like it's, it's, it's a big deal. And, um, so they're just kind of like, okay. So then they're starting to realize like, okay. And that's when the talk starts to swirl. And my colleague was like, holy fuck. They just found out the account's not th real, this and that we can't get a hold of Mary Carol. Maybe I think this was fraud, like, holy shit. And I'm like, oh my God, this is bad. So, and then of course they're like, where the fuck is Mary Carol? Like, where is Mary Carol? Nobody knows where she is. She provided an address. Didn't anybody show up at her home? Oh yeah. She wasn't there. She was nowhere. She just could not be reached. Uh, and you'll find out to this day, like kind of how it unfolded. Cause we're, we're like five years after this all happened now, you know, we're in 2023 now this mm -hmm. happened in 2018 and so on March 9th, the exact same day that the bank finds out that this is very likely fraud, mm -hmm. $15 million, Barry Rothman dies unexpectedly. Oh my gosh. And mysteriously. <laughs> like, so the rumors are swirling. Like, we're all just like, holy shit, we're all trying to get our work done, but this is a big deal. Like, fuck, we lost $15 million. And Barry died. What, and then and then Barry dies. And we hear that he died mysteriously in the dental chair. So we're like, what? Of course, my what do you mean die Meaning he went in for a dental procedure, died during the procedure. 
<laughs> so we're like, okay, what the fuck? Like, and of course my true crime brain is that bitch didn't want to share the money with him. So she had him killed or she, he knew too much and now she's caught. So if he's dead, she's because he was probably in on it with her. Right. Or he knew too What's much. What's the likelihood it was an accident? It could have been, but just given what we knew that like, we're starting to realize that Mary Carol may be a huge fraudster and not a good person. And for him to die in the dental chair, you're like, well, no, this isn't tracking. Like she may have had something to do with this. And it wasn't just me who thought this, the bank gets this news that Barry died mysteriously, possibly in the dental chair. Mm -hmm. The bank hires security guards to guard all the entry points to our offices. They took it seriously because they're like, we don't know where Mary Carol is. We think she's a fraudster at least, uh, you know, but maybe even more. And now Barry Rothman's dead. He probably helped her. Maybe she had something to do with it. We got to protect our employees. So they literally, we had guards guarding the doors to all of the entry points. And you can just imagine we're getting drips of information. We don't know the whole, the whole puzzle. Story. We're just like yeah. this heiress just fucking took off with the money. And we still Barry can't find, died. and Barry died. Where's Mysteriously Barry? In the, the dental chair. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so bizarre. So then we learn that then quickly after that, we learned that Mary Carol also apparently had a brother who died mysteriously years prior. And of course I'm thinking, okay, well, she wants to get most of her family's trust money. And if with one sibling dead, she gets a lot more money. That was where my brain was going. Right. It doesn't mean that I had anything to prove it, but I was like, well, fuck all this circle. You know, when you stack up enough yeah. circumstantial evidence, it becomes pretty like, okay, maybe there's something to this. Mm -hmm. So we're just like all in a tizzy. And we're in a meanwhile, every time you got to go to lunch or go anywhere outside the door, you got security guards. So it just was a big deal. And when you rip off a bank for $15 million or when $15 million goes missing and it's a FDIC insured bank, the FBI is going to come in and investigate. And they did. So it was just a, it was a big yeah, deal. That was going to be my next question is, um, because <laughs> you have to make up that 15 million. Where does a bank come up with a new fresh 15 million? Well, two ways. So one way is that because they are insured, they can go and apply to the insurance company that insures the bank and go, look, we made a loan. It was fraud. We'd like to get reimbursed. It's just like at your house. If you have damage. No. Yeah. I had no idea. Yes. So they weren't really worried about the 15 million because they can call it in from their insurance company. They are worried about it because it's a huge shit stain on their reputation. Mm -hmm. It's people are going to get fired and they did at the bank. It doesn't make the bank look good. It makes you look like rookies that mm -hmm. you just let 15 million walk out. Plus when you file that big of a claim, I'm sure other rates, your insurance rates go up. Like there's probably just all kinds of trickle so it was a big deal, but they applied to get the money back and thought that they would, but lo and behold, their claim got denied. What? The From ins the insurance company? And, and you know what? Oh, okay. okay. I was about, okay. So I'll, I'm going to be really transparent. Yeah, please. Okay. I'm like, okay, a bank, it's not a person. Like, sure. You don't humanize. Unsympathetic victim. Unsympathetic victim to me. Oh, now the loss of 15 million is isn't going to hurt their patrons, you know, their their clients. Right. The, like you and me. Yeah. We go to the bank and the bank 
made a mistake on 15 million like sorry we cleaned out your account yeah no and to it cover doesn't, it right so it's not that no. okay so my sympathy for the bank is like was there was a tick and then yeah. when you said oh there's insurance and they'll get their money back so like, no okay. losses nobody suffered anything okay it's fine all right the ramifications where it comes where it gets really shitty is that my whole team was fired for over this so the people that I knew and loved and still to this day are very good friends of mine. They're good, solid, ethical bankers. Mm -hmm. They had worked so hard for their clean reputation in banking. And so the EVP, mm -hmm. who I went over there with, my boss and my colleague uh, who were all involved in bringing Mary Carol in to the bank, they got fired. And that sucks. They, two of them had families, wives, you know, kids and, um, I'm happy to say they've all recovered and right. they're doing fine, but it was a huge stress on them. They had to be put on leave. Nobody was allowed to contact them. They were just in limbo. They didn't know what was going on at the bank. We didn't know what was going on with them. Hey, lie detectors. It's Jamie. I don't know about you, but with my youngest back in school, I've fallen into a dinnertime recipe rut. Okay, let's be honest. My recipe rut started long ago, but who's keeping track? By the time I finished work, picked up my daughter from school, taken her to basketball practice, and helped her with her homework, I am exhausted and I do not feel like being creative in the kitchen. That's when HelloFresh comes in clutch. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit for a reason. They do all the shopping and meal planning for you. And with over 40 recipes to choose from every week, there's always something delicious to discover. Ingredients come straight to your doorstep, pre-portioned and ready to cook, along with pictured step-by-step -step recipe cards. Melissa says it's the pictured directions that made her really love HelloFresh. It's like a cheat sheet for dinner. My favorite thing about HelloFresh is that all the recipes only take about 30 to 45 minutes to make, which means I have a lot more time to binge the next true crime documentary. And if you're really in a rush, HelloFresh even has ready-to-heat meals like their spicy Creole stew. Meal kits like these are such a lifesaver when it comes to saving time and money on groceries. In the past, I've raved about Green Chef. The cool thing is that Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, providing a diverse range of meal plans to cater to everyone's tastes. Even my 10-year-old, whose diet consists of PB&Js, mac and cheese, and not much else. If you happen to follow me on social media, you know that I started getting the most consistent I've ever been in the gym. And honestly, it's been really hard for me to be consistent with both the gym and a healthy diet in the past. It's like I was only able to handle one of those consistently at a time. But with HelloFresh, all the stress that comes with figuring out what healthy meals to cook every night is completely gone. If you're ready to make meal planning easier this fall, go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 lipstick and use code 50 lipstick for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So really your colleagues were the victims in the sense that their reputation was tarnished. And then also the, the look that people were thinking, like, were they involved in it? And that's exactly what happened is the FBI came in and grilled their asses 
and trying to find out, were you in on this? Like, did you have something to gain from this? You worked really hard to bring her into the bank. Like, what did you, and, and I can just squash that. They had nothing to do with it and no evidence was ever found. Mm -hmm. I already knew like they had not, they got duped. So there are victims and the victims are your colleagues. Yeah. And that and exactly. And they're all fine today and people can feel sorry for them or not feel sorry it sucked. They're human beings and they really were just doing their job. And it's mm -hmm. credit's job to underwrite the financials and determine whether to make the loan. Nobody from credit ever got fired. Just so you know, like that's where I always had an issue. Mm -hmm. Why are my colleagues out there doing their job? And I get it that they should be fired too. Just they had a hand in it, bringing her in. Not that it was nefarious or that they knew this was going to be a fraudulent. They didn't know. They thought they were just doing their jobs. But credit actually did a deep dive into these financials and knew intimately well, this was not a good borrower. You made a good point. You all, your colleagues and you are at the surface level of the loan and the, the deeper conversations are with another department. And those folks were not affected. Got off scot-free. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. I have a theory on it that I'm happy to share later. Um, but that pissed me off. So by this time, when this is all going down, like you're going to see how this whole event meeting this lady and the, my colleagues getting fired is the entire reason I'm sitting in this chair today with you, a full-time podcaster, this event changed the trajectory of my life in a major way, which I'll get into. But, um, so this was just a big deal. The FBI comes in, they grill everybody. What was that day at the office? Oh my God. It was just, we got no work done. I'm getting visuals of the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, it's totally like Wolf of Wall Street. You have all these professionals walking around in these expensive suits and, you know, buttoned up and whatever. And they're being called in and they're being grilled by the FBI and they're being accused of like, you were involved, right? You know, I'm making up words, yeah. but like kind of along that line of questioning. Mm -hmm. And I remember my colleague, the one who kind of like was on my, who did what I did at the bank. He came out, his face was white. I will never forget him walking out. I felt like he was either going to cry or vomit or both. Mm -hmm. And I said nothing to him because I could just tell it was a lot. He had been interrogated. He was reeling from all this. He's still trying to figure out why did Barry refer me this lady? What happened to Barry? He, Barry was his friend and now he's dead. So he's like mourning that this heiress just took this money. Like I might be fired. Now they say I might be in on it. Like it was just a lot. Like, do I need to hire a lawyer? Yes. Do I need to hire a lawyer? So we, I did eventually talk to him. He kind of gave me an idea of what they were saying to him. And it was just really scary. Um, but they were eventually, my colleagues were eventually put on leave. We were not allowed to contact them. They weren't allowed to contact us. And eventually they were just terminated. And we knew, we saw the writing on the wall, like they're not going to survive this. And they didn't. And I was miserable during this time because the only reason I was at this fucking bank that had the shittiest press, you know, <laughs> yeah. like was for my team. And we were just had and they got so fired. And they got fired. <laughs> so I am no longer happy. I am miserable. And of course, since my two bosses are fired and my close colleague, they bring in these other asshole assholes from the bank to be my temporary boss. And they're fucking assholes. Uh -huh. And they were saying all this shit, like blaming my colleagues and, oh, yeah, of course, who who goes out and brings in? Of course, it was fraud. And it's like, bro, you also 
mm-hmm. could be duped by an air. You know what I mean? If if somebody produces false false documents, like stop acting like you're smarter yeah. than they were. It was just dumb. Yeah. And I remember crying in meetings after that. And I'm not a crier at work, right? I just you just try to be professional. It was angry. I was so angry because what was happening was one of the higher ups, I want to say he was one or two down from the CEO of the bank. I will never forget him. He sits across from a conference table, kind of like this one, but Mm -hmm. bigger. He calls all the remaining people who survived this in, including myself. And he sits across the table and he just is, he's bald face lying to us. He's trying to throw my colleagues under the bus as if they just did something so stupid and that the bank did nothing wrong in this and that this, this and that. And I looked at him and I questioned and I, I was like, so fucking out of there. So I was like, I'm just going to lay it on him. And I looked at him right in the eyes and I was like, that's a lie. And I know it's a lie because they're not responsible. Every, I said, every time Mary Carol called and wanted a million here, 2 million there, it was the credit team, your buddy who has to approve it every single time. I'm not saying I want every, him to get fired, but why is he not on leave right now? And he looked at me and he said, because that's the way it is. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, I see what's going on. Like you just need me to shut up. And the bank is going to run with this narrative that look, we hired some bonehead people. We've gotten rid of them. They brought this stupid loan in, but they're never going to accept any kind of responsibility for their kick-ass credit team. They should have never made this loan. And they did. And it was a huge blunder on the bank, but the bank did not want that narrative out there because this was hitting the press. Because this is a publicly traded bank. Remind me again, who was supposed to check on that that um, secured funds of 28 mil? That's the credit team. Okay. That is all credit. Who did not get uh, fired or laid off. Right. Okay. So they made a $15 million loan, allowed her to make every draw on it, all the way up to $14.2 million, never knowing that their pledge, their collateral, wasn't even collateral. They had never even secured. It's like you let me walk off the lot with a car that I financed and you didn't secure the lien and I stopped making payments, but you're not allowed to repossess that car because your bonehead credit team didn't perfect their collateral. Like they, they don't actually own the car. They, they blundered it, you know, but yeah, so I I was just pissed off. So I didn't last long. I knew I was out of there. I immediately started interviewing at other financial institutions, knowing that when I was able to talk to my boss and his boss, that, they would take me somewhere with them probably. Like I knew they would probably get another job somewhere. They were very well respected. Did you start talking to them even though you were told not to? One time. (laughs) And that's what, you know, I won't use their names, but yes, we did. And, And it was one time we were both very careful about it. Like, but it just was the kind, I just needed to know it was, it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay. Yeah. You, it was a, you okay. And also what's our plan? Like, where are we going? Because I want to, I would go with them anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like they are just rock solid and we trusted each other. And I was like, where are we going after this? Kind of like we go as a team. And so it was kind of us making plans. Like, listen, this is all going to fall apart. We're probably going to be fired. You know, just hold tight, stay there. Business as usual, but we'll figure this all out. We'll reconvene when we're allowed to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And we did do that eventually. But just as a plan B, C, whatever, I was also interviewing at other institutions just to line something up in case 
I don't know when Did I'm going to be- that come up in your interviews? Hey, I noticed that there's a $15 million loan issue. No, it, it didn't. Did but it make the press or no? Yes, because it's a publicly traded bank. So it did make the press. So it was big in the financial world. But if you're not in the financial world, like you would have never even known this happened. Well, but who would have reported it? All the financial, the like it's financial news. You know, when there's a when there's a bank that you can buy stock in and they have a big scandal like this, even like the um, strippers, sex and whatever, yeah. that also made the, because it's a publicly traded bank. People own stock in this bank. And so this is something the stockholders are going to want to know that the bank just let 15 million walk out the door. Wait, I did not know there was this like trade. Mm-hmm place to know all the juicy secrets about banks. Yeah, there is. And, and I, I read all know, the articles. I want to know about the bank that I bank with. Yeah, you can go. There's going to be, if it's a publicly traded bank, chances are there's going to be an article if there's a scandal or something mm-hmm. big that happens. Are they all dirty though? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and, and listen, that's a strong statement. Dirty I, meaning like they have blemish, yes, blemish, they have blemished reputations. All of them do. All of them. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all essentially the same. That's why it's kind of like me and my colleagues are like, it's about the people you work with. I will, I'll work at this bank that has bad press, but as long as I'm with my team and I'm doing my job the right way and I'm behaving ethically and I'm feeding my family, like, okay, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that. It's kind of a flippant way to say it, but yeah, I mean, like you're never going to go to a bank that's just got this stellar reputation. You're going to find something. You're just, you're going to find something, some predatory lending, maybe some shenanigans with the higher ups who get too much power. Racial profiling. Yeah. And it's a real thing that like, if you work at a bank and you have a high, uh, a really like a higher up, high powered position, you have fangirls within the bank. You have fangirls like who are gonna, I'm telling you, like this it is just, another world. Just somebody who makes culture. a lot of money. Yeah. Anybody who makes a lot of money and, and holds a high powered position it's ripe for scandal. Not that every single one will end in a scandal, Mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just, you get a little power, you get a little money and it's just kind of ripe for, you go on a lot of business trips. We do a lot of things together. There's hotel rooms that are secured where your colleagues in the one right next door to you, you know, something like that. So shit happens. And this isn't the, you know, the first time that I knew of stuff going down at the bank, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was interviewing, I was out of there. I was miserable. Shit was going on every day. And I was just rolling my eyes. Like you motherfuckers, I hate all of you. (laughs) Like you're liars. (laughs) And yeah, I was just like, some people right now listening to the podcast are thinking about their jobs. Yeah. Maybe (laughs) they are not very many. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hopefully not very many. Hopefully you love your job and you're driving, listening, ecstatic about what you're going to. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I hope that you're super happy and this Mary oh, Carol doesn't come in. I wasn't was looking at my evil eye. Bracelet. Oh no, I was. I'm just trying to keep oh. track of time. It's not you <laughs> I wasn't you giving you a social cue like, Damn, oh, no, 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 Jamie, this no. is like going. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it is kind of a long one, but I'll, we'll promise we'll get through it. So a month later, after all the shit goes down, I'm still not really able to talk to my colleagues. I'm, you know, I, I'm actually this close to accepting a position at another financial institution. I had gotten the job. It was mine if I wanted it, but I just hadn't accepted yet. Uh, It was a Friday. I was working from home that day, still working at Bank of California, but I was working from home that day. I was at a Starbucks right by my house and I get a phone call and it's my husband. My husband is a landscape contractor and he owns his own companies and um, in that field. And he's such a cool guy. Thank you. Yeah. As yours is too. And they're both named Steve. Yes. And he calls me and I could tell in his voice, he's a little panicked. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, Hey, do you have a sec? 
He had a right-hand person who'd worked with him for years in his business. Well, she had just informed him, I'm going to be leaving. I've accepted another position. And my husband is just very like, he trusts her. She did a lot of things that he can't just trust anybody with. Mm -hmm. And he's panicking like, well, what the hell am I going to do? And so (laughs) at, at the same time, I was desperately wanting to leave Bank of California. Like I was, I needed to be out of there like tomorrow. I couldn't stomach one more day there. And I just, a light bulb went off and I'm like, babe, what if I just like quit my job? I'm going to put in my resignation today. Like today I will submit my resignation at BOC. I'll come work with you. I have all the expertise, like the, you know, I'm in finance essentially. Mm -hmm. So I can do all your books. I can do whatever she was doing, you know, whatever. And we'll just figure it out. But the plan was for me to just work with him temporarily so that he had somebody he could trust while she's leaving and then eventually just hire someone else. And I would take this other position still doing what I was doing. You're going to be a bridge. Yeah, I was going to be a bridge. <laughs> just like just to tie it back into that 15 mil bridge loan. Exactly. And my husband's like, let's do it. And we didn't even talk about like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you pay, pay me? me honey? Yeah. <laughs> and, and listen, he couldn't afford me. I will just say that. Like I was deep into my career at this yes. time. I was yeah. established. But it's a bridge. But it's like, he also is doing pretty okay. And like, it was just kind of like, pay me whatever you were paying her at that time. But you're going to have to pick up more of the bills because now I'm not making this over here. But like, then we'll just figure everything out once I get back into my mm-hmm. corporate gig. And you, you know, so it was just like, let's just, it was just on Wait, a whim. Were you the um, benefit provider, the health yes. insurance provider? Yes. Too? And uh-huh. that's why we both were, that's why I was like, I'll still have benefits. I'll have Cobra. For 30 but days. Go, but I'll go back and I'll get my cushy benefits because my husband is an entrepreneur at this time. You need that. I had the benefits from the bank, really great benefits, you know. So that was the plan. So I submitted my resignation that day. And what happens in banking is I, you to be professional, you give two weeks notice, but they're not going to keep you for the two weeks. They'll pay you for the two weeks, but they cut you off right away because they don't want me to go and steal their clients and bring them to whichever other and bank they, I'm going yeah, to. They don't want you to have access to the emails, anything. Yeah. Okay. So, that's similar to the entertainment yeah, industry, which I was well. super excited. I'm like, please cut me. And I knew they'd pay me for the two weeks, which they did. Did they tell you don't even bother coming in then? Uh, so I came in to get my stuff on that Monday and then I was out. That was it. And I was the happiest thing ever. So then I started working with my husband and his right-hand person trained me before she left. And that's when I, that's why I say that this whole thing changed my life in a major way because I never went. So spoiler alert, I never went back to corporate. My husband liked that I was working with him. I liked working with him. It allowed me more time to continue podcasting because at at the time this all happened, Mm -hmm. I was a podcaster, but it wasn't my full-time gig. It was on the side. And this would allow me- What did that look like? What were you doing as far as you, were you doing episodes out of your house? What was the name of yes. your podcast? Yeah. So Murderish, which is still around. I okay. still produce episodes of Murderish. Um, I had launched Murderish before I got to Bank of California. So I was a podcaster with Murderish, but it was just like a side thing. You know, I, the banking was my career where I made my money. When I started working with my husband, I'm like, I can help him. I'll learn his business. That's really fun. I'll be able to pick my daughter up from school every day. Cause our office is like five minutes, you know, from home, five minutes from my daughter's school. So I'll get to be like a working outside the home mom, which I love, but I'll also get to be that mom that goes to the carpool and picks my daughter up every day. So it was like the best of both worlds. And we would just figure out the money 
later mm -hmm. and that and that's what we did and i started ramping up with murderish now all of a sudden i had more time to grow my podcast to a point where fast forward to today my podcast is what feeds me like i still work with my husband but i one day a week mm -hmm. because he still want he trusts me and he wants me to do the things but he also wants me to follow my passion and my business and grow my podcasting career so i kind of do still do it all like i still i'm full-time podcasting but I'm also working with my husband once a week, doing the books and all the things there. And it's great. And, it, and I wish that Mary Carol would have never done what she did because of the trickle down effect. And my colleagues got fired. It's for me, if I'm being honest, not that I want this or wanted this or asked for this, it changed my life for the better. And again, I wish it never happened Mm -hmm. But it did. And because it happened, I was able to leave corporate. I've never looked back. I've never had a commute since then. And now I'm like the balance between like a stay-at-home mom-ish, but mm -hmm. also like a career mom. And I and I kind of love it. And it's I been, love that for you. Yeah, I, I, I do that. too. And um, but I do hate what she did. And so um, let's see. Oh, but after so after this all blew up, I left the bank. I'm working with my husband, I'm podcasting, I'm picking my daughter up from school. I could never stop thinking about Mary Carol McDonald. How could I, I still had so many questions. Who is she? When I tell you that I still thought she was an heiress, I still thought she was an heiress. I did not know. I found out later and I'll get into it, but she was just a fraud in so many different regards. Wait, there's no 80 million. There ain't no 80 million. <laughs> there's no family trust. There is no heiress. So I couldn't stop thinking about her. Fast forward to 2021. I get picked up by a podcast network called Cloud 10 Media, which you and I are both now a part, a part of this of, network yes. with Lipstick and Lies. But I get picked up by Cloud 10 for my show Murderish. And um, soon after I got picked up, I just got a really good vibe from Cloud 10. And I was like, you know what? I have an idea for a podcast. There's this lady that came in and did a fraudulent loan at the bank. I think there's more to this story. What if I investigate her, find out all there is to know, and we put, do a podcast about her? They love the idea. Okay. So we launched Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime. And season one was dedicated to my investigation of Mary Carol McDonald. This is the time at which I found out exactly who she is, what she's done in her past, and it is mind-blowing that it wasn't just that she walked in casually and took 15 million and maybe she's an heiress, maybe not. There's so much more to it. So I began investigating her. I dove into her past, her childhood, her college, her professional career in TV, which was extensive. I secured pivotal sources who start, you know, who came forward, got a lot of leads. And then we launched the podcast, Dirty Money Moves, uh, in April of 2022. And in season one, episode after episode, I laid out everything that I learned about Mary does, Carol. Does Mary Carol know that you exist? Has she tried to file a lawsuit against you? Bitch, she is not in a power position right now because you'll find out at the end, she doesn't hold the power anymore. Okay. And I am not afraid of her. Okay. And I, I've thought about that and we did, we talked about it before, but it's like, when you know the position she's in as of today's date, you're like, fuck you. Come at me, bro. <laughs> like, really? I wish a motherfucker would. No, okay. But so, don't don't wish that. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't wood. wish that. Not I don't. Wood. Let me back up. Okay. No one wants a lawsuit. Nobody wants a lawsuit. But uh, I would imagine it would have come by now. Knock, <laughs> knock, knock, because the podcast has been out for a while. But so what we found out about Mary Carol McDonald was absolutely 
wild. This story was much bigger than I and my colleagues or anybody ever knew. Like nobody really knew who she was and what she'd been doing for decades. So the first thing I learned in my research is surprise, surprise, this bitch is not an heiress. Okay. Like she is not wealthy heiress. Her family, her, her father back in the day owned like a successful grocery, like a market, but not buku buku bucks heiress status where she got the heiress part is pretty interesting so her last name is mcdonnell m-c-d-o-n-n-e-l-l um there's a company called mcdonnell douglas which back in the day i think in the 1980s merged with boeing the airplane manufacturing company so mcdonnell douglas was a big company And she likes to say that her father was one of the co-founders of McDonnell Douglas, which eventually merged with Boeing back in the day. She's not. Yes, they have the same last name. That's not her father. But she has been telling this lie for decades, not just to the bank. We found out this has been a lie that she has told all her employees at Bellum Entertainment. She's been lying her ass off. Like, it's, it's crazy. So we learned that she wasn't an heiress. And, um, and we also learned, okay, she was born in December of 1951 in St. Louis, Missouri. She's one of six children. Uh, Mary Carol is the second to youngest, uh, McDonald child. Her father is Russell McDonald. Her mother is Ava Muse. Both of her parents were Christian scientists back in the day. And her father was an entrepreneur, but not wealthy, wealthy, crazy, wealthy. The McDonald family loved music. Most of the kids, including Mary Carol, sang or played instruments. And Mary Carol had three brothers and two sisters. Her little sister, Marilyn Holly McDonald, was three years younger than Mary Carol. And she was her very best friend in life. They were very close. Um, Holly McDonald, she went by Holly, was born with Down syndrome. And um, in 1966, tragedy struck. And 11-year-old Holly McDonald was playing outside with a neighbor boy. He was 14 years old. He also had special needs. And events transpire, and the little boy, the 14-year-old, goes and grabs a hunting knife and comes out, and he stabs Holly. And she does end up dying on the way to the hospital. So this is Mary Carroll's little sister, best friend in life. So this is when I started to realize maybe this traumatizing event made Mary Carol took a turn for the worse and made her become a fraudster, scam artist. Like, I don't know, but certainly this was a pivotal time and a very tragic life. time in her life. And I think it was life altering. So, but what's crazy, what's, what's disgusting about it is that Mary Carol, I found out in my research is that she later spun that tragedy into a huge lie So remember how I told you she would tell everybody she was an heiress, right? She even told her husbands, I'm an heiress. My family's very substantial. I just don't have the money yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't (laughs) have the money yet. And she would also be like, don't talk to my family about this. It's very sensitive, but we're very wealthy. So she would, you know what I mean? She didn't want them to get the truth. That'll make them feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it'll make them feel uncomfortable and it'll also expose my lie. Um, But not only did she tell people that she was from this substantial family, she would tell people so many people throughout the decades that her little sister, Holly, who was killed by a hunting knife by the neighbor boy, she would tell people, my sister was kidnapped, held for ransom and murdered. So even within Bellum Entertainment, there was just this lore, like 
even within Bellum Entertainment, you will not find any of their shows that they produced that are about child victims because Mary, everybody knew in the company, Mary Carol's sister, little sister, her best friend was kidnapped, held for ransom and murdered. And it's very sensitive and that therefore we will not be covering cases involving child victims. Mm -hmm. Well, while it is true, she had a very traumatic event and yes, her sister was killed. She was never held for ransom and never murdered, but it made sense that she would tell people that my sister was held for ransom because that only happens to wealthy people. Right. And if you're a wealthy heiress, it just validated it. It validated it, but it was a lie. And, um, after high school, Mary Carroll, uh, she attends Principia College, which is a small liberal arts school rooted in Christian science. That's in St. Louis. She blows through her tuition money on personal items, calls her daddy, daddy bails her out. So she has a history of like, oh my God, waterworks. Oh my God, dad, I didn't mean to. And then like her dad would bail her out, right? Mm. But she's always been bad with money is what I learned. Bad, bad, bad. Overspender, overspender, lived beyond her means. And to a certain extent, her dad would bail her out. So um, after college, she gets married to a guy named Shapley Mather. They don't work out. They end up getting divorced pretty quickly. But after- Why? Because she lies? Uh, probably. <laughs> I didn't get to talk to Shapley, who goes by Hap, but um, I did get to speak to some other people who were close to her mm -hmm. who wished to remain anonymous. And they shed some light on okay. what she was like is this all on uh, Dirty Money Moves? Yes. So all the details of this. Yes. Okay. Way more detail than what I'm going into today. And there's just yeah. a lot of twists and turns. Like, Yeah, fascinating lady. Yeah, very mm -hmm. fascinating. So she graduates from college. Mary Carroll meets a guy named Blake Byrne. He's the station manager for WJAR-TV in Providence, Rhode Island. Byrne was a guy who had a lot of success in the TV business over a decade. He saw something special in Mary Carroll. So he hires Mary Carroll. He becomes her mentor in the TV biz. And she kind of follows Byrne, you know, Blake Byrne around and works with him. She follows him to Texas when he got a big promotion. And his success had spanned over like 35 years. He is who got Mary Carroll into the TV business and taught her everything she knows. But along with teaching her everything he knew about TV... He also like taught her some shady shit. <laughs> and this also may have been what turned her into the scam artist that I know she is today. And basically Blake Byrne apparently participated in check kiting, which is also a form of bank fraud. And he taught Mary Carol that, and she later adopted similar behaviors in business. So she gets into the TV biz Everybody what, around what her. What is that? What is check kiting? So check kiting in simple terms is like I go and I get a checkbook. I open an account and it either has no money in it or it's closed eventually. But I write checks on it and I go and deposit that check at a, my account at another bank. And then I but go it's gonna and bounce. Well, not if you withdraw those funds right away. And sometimes banks will let you do that. You bring a check in for a couple hundred dollars and go, I'd like to cash this. The bank doesn't know yet that that check's not going to clear. So if you do it fast enough and you withdraw the cash right away from that check, eventually the bank that you cash the check for you is going to get left holding the bag, so to speak, but they don't know that right away. And then they, so on and so on and so on. She'll take checks from closed accounts or accounts that don't have any money, deposit it over here, get the cash, 
deposit over here, get the cash. And by the time the bank finds out, that she's already got the cash. That can't happen anymore today, right? That doesn't happen. It can happen, but it, they've got a lot more secure like controls on it. And the bank is very aware that people do that. But like when she started doing it, it was probably kind of like a new thing and yeah. the bank wasn't as tight and, you know, just it, it can happen. And she did that. And she learned it from Blake Byrne, apparently. So... She also, um, at one point quit the TV business, went and tried to open up a dress shop in Missouri. Her dad funded it, that thing folded and she got into legal trouble. And this may be the very first time she got into legal trouble. She was, um, it was credit card trouble. Oh, she allegedly committed $100,000 in credit card fraud. We were able to pull up the records. So she had to go to court for this. So I don't know if it was like she was using cards that weren't hers or what, but she got wrapped up in some legal trouble. And again, her dad kind of like when she faced the charges in court, kind of bailed her out and paid those debts off. Mm -hmm. So she was used to getting bailed out, being a bad girl, get bailed out. So her heiress lie the, the lie that she told everybody around her, family, friends, colleagues, employees, it dates back to like the mid-1980s is when I was able to track when she first started. That's when she first started perpetuating that I am this person who's better than you. I'm an heiress. She always like walked around a little bit snobby, like I'm just above it all, you know? Well, she probably believed it at I that point. You believe your lies. She may have. And I think she did, you know, and she spent lavishly during this time when she was in the T she got back into the TV biz after the dress company folded and she got in legal trouble with credit cards. She's back in the TV biz. She's, she's got a fancy condo in Los Angeles. She's got a Porsche. She's got an air of superiority and she's really trying to erase her small town past. She's from St. Louis, Missouri. She's not a big time, you know, yeah. but she wants everybody to think like I'm big time. She gets married again to a guy named Tom Carroll, which is funny because then that now makes her new name, Mary Carol Carroll, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bizarre. She, or gives she could just be Carol, Mary. No, she could be. Never mind. Because her name's Mary, Mary Carol. Carol. Yeah. yeah. Not Mary. So yeah. in 1988, she gives birth to two twin boys, Sean and Mackenzie. She calls the, the other one, one of them Mac. So Sean and Mac. How are the boys today? Uh, they don't talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Uh, from what I know, they're fine now, but mm -hmm. they got put through the ringer for their mom's shenanigans. Like, Bad. Do you talk about that in your uh, yes. Dirty Money Moves podcast? Mm -hmm. Did they interview with you? No, but I have interviewed other people who are close to them. Yeah, and um, and try and got word back from that person that they're just gonna hold off for now. It, it has been like deeply traumatic for them. Of course, the whole yeah. thing. So, yeah. which I understood. So, you know, sources told me that the boys were largely raised by their father and by a nanny, that Mary Carroll was just really focused on other things, trying to make money, mm -hmm. scams, whatever. 1994, she moves back to California, gets a big job offer. And then I'm trying to get to the good part. So she lands major roles in TV. There's a good part? Wait, there's yeah. a good part? I, well, there's a, you're not going to believe. <laughs> not going to believe what we found out. So she's basically... Now she's back in LA. She's this big TV executive. And you got to understand like everybody around her, she's in a Porsche, multi-million dollar home. Mm -hmm. She's a TV exec. She knows her shit. She's a wealthy heiress. Like don't fuck with Mary Carroll. Like she's got it going on. And nobody knew what was going on behind the scenes until we did this investigation. Yeah, why would they know it's a banking situation? Yeah, yeah. They don't know that like even besides the banking thing, she was already committing scams, other scams. 
So then in 2007, while Mary Carroll is this big TV executive, she's this heiress, whatever, she starts approaching some of her wealthy colleagues and friends. I'm talking like high, like attorneys, mm-hmm. uh, big producers, like people with, you know, just people with money. And she's like, Hey, um, I have this gifting program, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it just sounds so MLM. Like it just sounds so. How about. Yeah. You so you got a couple mil. <laughs> so that's exactly what she did. She would go to like an expensive lunch with like her lawyer friend who's got a multi-million dollar law firm, right? Let's just say. And she'd be like, look, I've got this opportunity to invest. You know, I have a family trust. It's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. My portion is just 80 million. We're running this, we're doing this gifting program that if you invest, say a million dollars in a year, the ROI on that is going to be like 20%. So you're going to get a 1.2 million back. And I've done it with other people and you can talk to them. Like they're part of my gifting program. So, but you want to probably act fast because like the, this is going to close in a year when I get my payout from my family's family trust, right? It's making a new bridge loan. It's a new bridge, bridge loans. So essentially Mary Carol told people that she was the trustee of this family trust and she was authorized to offer 20% return on investment in one year. Sounds great. These people trust her. They are close friends. She's a smart lady, well-regarded in the industry. So they're like, you know what? I've got a million laying around. Like I'm a successful guy. I'd love to get 1.2 million back in a year. Mm -hmm. Well, so she has a colleague of hers. This is just one example. This happened over and over and over again. One employee invests $100,000 initially, but then he ups it to $660,000. Hopefully he didn't mortgage his home for it. Or like- Not this guy, but maybe other people did. Um, But then she kept hitting him up. She was, people described her as relentless. You know, sources came forward and they're like, I got hit up for her gifting program and I was lucky because I said no, but I know that my homeboy, like he, he invested 2 million and she was relentless. If you wanted to come in with like a hundred thousand dollars initially, she'd be like, oh my God, do a million. You know, you can afford it. Like the, the trust is going to close you. You should do it now. This guy over here made 200,000 last year on it. So that was her signature scam for a long time. She started doing this in like 2007 up until like the date of the bank thing. She was and still doing it. And how would she just get away from the victims? Would she just stop taking their so, phone calls and yeah. run away? It's, or like- she would come up with excuses. So numerous people in her life, and they're named in Dirty Money Moose, some of them, some not, fell for this scam. And it was a scam. It was, there was no family trust. People fell for it because they trusted her. These are very smart people. Like these are not dumb people. So that was just one of her scams, but it was her signature scam. And she got multi-millions of dollars doing that over several years. And nobody in the industry knew this was going on. Like they would, they were shocked when they found out that she was doing this. Like she's the least person, you know, last person you suspect of doing this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, In 2012, that's when she establishes Bellum Entertainment. That's the Los Angeles-based TV production company. And, oh, here's some names of shows. They produced Deep Undercover, Bizarre Murders, It Takes a Killer, and more and more and more. Like, all these true crime shows. And Bellum Entertainment... Well, I'm sure those were legit. Yeah. Um, yeah. The people who worked on them were legit. Yeah. Now... 
she wasn't legit. And she, I found out later through the investigation too, that she wasn't paying people at Bellum. She had labor board complaints and everything. Mm. So it was a family affair at Bellum Entertainment. She, her sons worked there at one time, her twin sons, her nephew, her very close friends. And that's by design. Now I understand who she is. If she's going to be a scam artist and do shady things and not pay employees, she needs family members Maybe not to fully help her. Maybe they didn't know exactly what was going on. I don't think her sons knew anything, Mm -hmm. but certainly like it makes it easier to perpetuate if you have people that you trust in your inner circle to be a bad person. And around this time, um, Mary Carroll quietly gets married to her third husband, Dr. Jeffrey Nillis. He's a Glendale. He was a Glendale ophthalmologist and he was retired, I think, by the time they got together or maybe right after. And, you know, during this time, she's running her gifting program, which is a scam and asking for investors money and not paying them. And then when they would call her a year later and go, okay, so where's my return on investment? Oh, don't worry. There was an issue. It's delayed, but you're going to get your money. Like she did this over and over and over until they realize, like, okay, we're not getting our money. Did she pay anybody back or no? She did. And it's kind of, there's a term called like wetting the beak, meaning like, Successful scam artists often do show people a return on their investment, but only to go after the big bucks later that they're not going to pay them back. Because if you think about it, if I invest 50000 mm-hmm. and I get $10,000 back a year later, I'm like, oh my God, it worked. This is real. Yes. Yeah, so then, then she goes in, in for the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, yeah, there were some people who got some money back, but ultimately she by and large didn't pay people their money you know, just as part of her scam, maybe a little bit, but for the most part, no. And, um, around this time, she was also not paying Bellum employees. Shockingly, shockingly, the labor board was already on her ass and she already had numerous wage complaints, people protesting outside of Bellum entertainment employees, um, because she wasn't paying at the same time the bank made this loan. So the bank knew she had some internal problems. They knew this, but she was able to explain it away. That doesn't surprise me. So how it works when you sell a program, a TV show is that you get milestone payments. So she could probably, um, fund, she'll get like a large windfall of money to start the project to start production because you have to hire on a team Mm -hmm. and then you produce your first, uh, rough cut. After your rough cut, you get your next milestone payment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was always that way. I've just always known it that way. I bet you in the past, networks have given just all of it up front and then never, like maybe some people walked off with it. I don't know. But for her, there would be checks and balances just like with a bank where she would have gotten um, a, a, a chunk of money to start the project. And so I could see where she could bring on employees, pay them like a little bit and then, and then not, just pay, not them. pay them. And that's exactly yeah. what was happening. Yeah. I mean, she was not paying people left and right. But she still needed to produce the content. So she would probably, there'd probably be a very large overturn. So there was a huge turnover in the company. People would be like, fuck this shit. Like this, I'm out. But then new people would come in. They didn't know anything, you yeah. know? So it takes a while. Yeah. It takes a while for people to start spreading the news that this mm-hmm. lady, you shouldn't work for her, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just takes a while. 
So, and even in 2017, Christine Lazar, a CBS2 News investigative reporter, hosted a segment about the non-payment accusations of Bellum workers. So they raised the alarm bells. They're like, we're not being paid. They contact the labor board and they contact, they reach out to Christine Lazar and she does a segment and there are clips of it out there that you can, you know, I think I played some of them on Dirty Money Moves. And this really is the time, this is 2017. This is, this is blowing up Mary Carroll's spot. This is when... People in the industry, maybe not everybody else, you know, outside and, and nobody at the bank knew, but this was going on when the bank is giving her this loan, but they don't, you know, whatever. Um, this is when it's like, okay, fuck, this shit's starting to catch up with me that I'm not paying my employees. Now I've got the news doing a segment on me. I've got people protesting outside of my office. I have friends who want their million dollars back. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that she has the gifting program yeah. and she's got them breathing down her, her neck, like give us our money. So she, there's a lot going on now. This all makes sense that around this time that she's got gifting program, people going, give us our millions of dollars back that you promised us. And she's got employees saying, give us our damn money. That's when she comes to Bank of California with Barry for a $15 million loan. Because she, she needs, needs the loan and what she's probably going to do with the money, in which in fact she did. But she needs to like pay some people to get them off her back, but keep most of it and then keep being a scam artist. That's just mm -hmm. how it works. If she were to just like never pay anybody and just... It, it would all poof. implode. Yeah. yeah. So she was trying to keep things going. And Bank of California was part of that plan. And she came to Bank of California. And of course, Barry's dead. So we'll never know if he truly was a part of it. But I can sit here and tell you today, if I were to bet a billion dollars on it, if I had it, yes, he was involved. If I were to bet, right? I can't prove it because he's dead. But everything points, in my opinion, allegedly, that Barry Rothman was in cahoots with Mary Carol McDonald. On this. I, I think he wasn't. There's a I, lot of evidence. Is there? Oh, yeah. And you're going to hear about Barry, Barry Rothman. Okay. Yeah. And well, this I is was almost just thinking over. the poor guy just went to the dentist and died. Oh, God. I can't wait to tell you what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, because oh, I'm God. like, oh, poor Barry is just like. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and I'm trying to take you on the roller coaster ride <laughs> that we went on. Your exact emotions and okay. you start forming opinions. And then you learn more and you're like, oh, fuck, no. Okay, now that's the ride that we went on with the story. Okay. Like We didn't know the full truth until Dirty Money Moves and like we investigated, you know? Okay. So well, I want to say, so if people are listening, I want to save some of those juicy things for them to listen on your podcast. You're not going to do a spoiler alert, right? Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you the whole story. We're almost done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's okay. They can, If they want to listen to Dirty Money Moves, it's interesting because there's so much more okay. in there okay. than I'm even giving you today. So <laughs> I'm like, don't ruin it. Oh, no, it's fine. People want to go on the journey on no. Dirty Money Moves. <laughs> it's like another forum for me to tell the story, but like if you want a true deep dive, and you want to know you that got it. you I got it. I got it. <laughs> so her empire, Mary Carroll's empire is collapsing. Investors are breathing down her neck for their money. Employees are walking out of Bellum. There's labor board complaints. And so that is when she comes to the bank and that her next move, I found out later, you know, is call up my boy, Barry Rothman, and he can get me into a bank that he thinks that we could steal this money from. I'm making that up, but like, I think that's what and happened. And Barry's like, oh, this bank has some bad press. Yeah. 
Maybe. Uh, I, I know this could... guy that I'm close with, my colleague. We went to the strip club together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he did. So 75-year-old Barry Rothman, the entertainment lawyer, you know, on Avenues of the Stars, he brings Mary Carroll to the bank. We all know what happened next. However, in my investigation, this is when I also learned who Barry Rothman really is. Okay. Yes, it's true that he was a high-profile entertainment lawyer. Yes, it's true that he repped all the celebrities that I told you that he mm -hmm. repped in the past. It is also true that he was ruthless and money-hungry, and people despised him in the industry. And he fired staff constantly at his law firm. He failed to pay salaries constantly. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Like him and Mary Carol are two crooked peas in a pod. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that she called up her homeboy, Barry. She probably knew some of this shit about him and was like, Hey, I need 15 million. Are you in? That's how I see it going down. How much money did he get? Oh, so, well, he died. So zero. Uh -huh. Zero. How much was he supposed to get? Who knows? Oh. Yeah, I would love to know that. And he was known to verbally abuse and berate uh, female employees at his office, okay? In addition to that, he was not good about paying alimony or child support. In fact, he was so bad because he got a divorce about not paying that his wife was able to go and get his 1977 Rolls Royce Corniche repoed. Because he just wouldn't pay. He was just a total dirtbag mm -hmm. when it came to, and I'm going to use that term because there's so much evidence. He also was found to have shell companies over in Panama. He had like, he was hiding money so he didn't have to pay alimony. Like he was a shady mofo, mm -hmm. just like Mary Carol. We didn't know this at the time. And Barry Rothman loved to be tan. Now this, this 70 something year old dude always had a tan, but he was so tan because he had an in-home tanning bed <laughs> that he looked like a damn leprechaun. And people would call him that. Like, so when you show the photo, mm -hmm. dude looks like a leprechaun. You'll see the oh, photo. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So he was behind on alimony, child support. He'd do anything to dodge financial responsibility. He once made up a story about being robbed at gunpoint to dodge financial responsibilities. He had numerous uh, Panama shell companies seemingly to hide assets. Numerous creditors would go on to sue him for non-payment. So you get the, oh, and in 1992, his law license was suspended. However, it got reduced to a brief probation and then he was back in business. <laughs> so by the time Mary Carroll hit him up for the scam, he was mm -hmm. a lawyer. Okay. His law firm filed BK back in 1992 and then things get interesting. And I promise you this is almost over. This is when it gets interesting. In the early 1990s, Barry Rothman, okay, this is before the Mary Carroll thing. This is back in Barry's heyday when he's like this entertainment lawyer, right? In the early 1990s, Barry meets a man named Evan Chandler in Beverly Hills because Evan Chandler is a Beverly Hills dentist. Dun, dun, dun. No. Um, uh, wait, was this the dentist who he goes to and he dies? We'll see. Okay. So... <laughs> I hate to do that. I hate to do that. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> As if I don't know. <laughs> so Evan Chandler is a Beverly Hills dentist. He becomes Barry's like go-to dentist guy. He wants, let me guess, he wants mega white teeth and <laughs> yeah, he, and an Oompa Loompa tan. <laughs> yeah, he wants the Oompa Loompa tan. Now something else interesting besides the fact that Barry had to be tan all the time, Barry also was a major pussy. And I'm sorry to use that word, but I just have to like the dude 
was a fraidy cat and he was so afraid of dental procedures. I'm talking like pretty routine shit that like getting he your w- teeth cleaned. Yeah, get, it probably maybe he's even just getting fluoride. Who knows? <laughs> he would ask to be put under anesthesia just for like routine shit. Now, probably big stuff too, but he was well known to go in to see his dentist. They would bring in an anesthesiologist just for Barry for like shit that you and I are like, nah, I'm good. Give me a little numbing gel, you know? So that was what Barry, Barry did. Two years later, after he met this Beverly Hills dentist named Evan Chandler, Barry becomes Chandler's lawyer in one of America's biggest Hollywood scandals involving Michael Jackson. So we're going to tie this story into Michael Jackson Evan, the Beverly Hill dentist's 12-year-old son, Jordy, became really friendly with Michael Jackson back in the 90s through very random circumstances. I could get into it, but he became friendly with Michael Jackson. Jordy began having, the 12-year-old began having sleepovers at Neverland Ranch with Michael Jackson. He became extremely close with MJ. 1993 rolls around, and while under the influence of a controversial drug called sodium amidal, Jordy, the 12-year-old, he was getting his tooth pulled by his father at his father's dental practice. They put him under this controversial drug. This is not a drug that's normally used to put kids or people down for a tooth extraction. While Jordy is under this drug and getting his tooth pulled, he claims that the son to his father that Michael Jackson sexually abused him numerous times. And Evan goes and tells Barry Rothman, well, what does Barry Rothman do? He sees dollar signs. Mm. So Barry Rothman is like, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to rep you for free. You're my friend. You're my dentist. We are going to sue Michael Jackson for $20 million. We're going to get 20 million. We're going to extort Michael Jackson. Of course, he probably didn't use those words, but 100%, it was an extortion scheme for $20 million against Michael Jackson. And seemingly Evan Chandler, Jordy's dad, was an accomplice. And the reason I say that it was like nefarious, they didn't have good intentions, because if this did happen to Jordy, and I have no reason to believe it didn't, I believe Jordy, the father should have gone to law enforcement. You would think that he would go to law enforcement and say, excuse me, my son has these very like serious claims against Michael Jackson. I want an investigation. That's not what he did. He went to Barry Rothman. Barry Rothman also didn't go to law enforcement. Barry Rothman's like, we're going to extort $20 million out of Michael Jackson. And if he doesn't pay up, then we're going to go to the news and blow up his spot. So that's what happens. Barry and Evan never went to law enforcement. I'm sorry. Yeah. Barry Rothman and Evan Chandler, they never go to law enforcement. Instead, they try to extort the money from Michael Jackson. Barry demands over and over again, $20 million from Michael Jackson's camp saying, otherwise we're going to go public with this. Were they ever paid any fraction of money? Yes, they were. And it's a very sad story. Um, eventually law enforcement does get notified, um, not by, um, you know, not by the right people, not by Jordy's dad and not by Barry Rothman. And then of course the story is leaked to the press. And then that's when we all found out about it. Like this is what broke open the, this is the original case. This was Jordy was the first accuser of Michael Jackson. He would have accusers after that and would in fact go through trial, but Jordy and Barry Rothman and they were the first ones to sort of like accuse Michael Jackson. The story explodes the world hears about it. I remember hearing about it at that time. Barry's like, well, fuck now I got to hire a lawyer. He hires Robert Shapiro. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Who you know very well. And people will know his name from the OJ Simpson trial. He represented OJ Simpson. Michael Jackson retains Johnny Cochran. 
So another huge, you know, OJ lawyer. And Michael Jackson was actually never indicted on these charges um, for the Jordy accusations. Um, And the extortion charges against Barry and Evan were eventually dropped. However, and I want to make it clear, I believe Jordy. I'm not saying that anything about his story is false. He's an innocent child who went to his father with something. It's his father and Barry Rothman who didn't do the right thing to protect him. They didn't go to law enforcement. They just tried to get a bunch of money. So then Michael Jackson's insurance company actually does pay out $20 million mm-hmm. on a negligence claim. Not They don't admit to any abuse against Jordy. But on a negligence claim, the insurance company of Michael Jackson pays out and $15.3 million goes to Jordy, the, the victim, alleged victim. I don't know mm-hmm. what to say here, you know, um, although I believe him. Evan Chandler and his ex-wife got $1.5 million. Barry Rothman got zero because the rest of the money of that $20 million went to the, all the lawyers. So Barry Rothman tried to do this whole thing. He's the one who concocted it. He didn't get a dime. Thank goodness. So after that point, after that all blew up, Evan Chandler was like one of the most hated men in America. People saw him as a horrible father. You didn't protect your son. You tried to get this money. You did get some money, but you should have handled this a different way. This forever changes Evan Chandler, the Beverly Hills dentist. He's never the same after this moment. Um, had to change his appearance because people were like after him and things like that. And in fact, on June 25th of 2009, um, that's when Michael Jackson dies. Three months later, in mental and physical pain, Evan Chandler ends up dying by suicide in in his New York apartment. So he ends up ending things at that point. Uh, Mary Carroll and Barry, they met in 2009 around the same time as the Michael Jackson, Barry Rothman legal drama was all going on. That's when Barry Rothman and Mary Carroll started their relationship, like as friends or Barry would represent Mary Carroll on certain business contracts. So then you fast forward to 2017, uh, early 2018. That's when Barry introduces Mary Carroll to the bank. That's when she gets the 15 million. That's when Barry Rothman dies mysteriously. By the dentist. So wait, by the dent? No, he's gone. So he's passed away. He he committed suicide, correct? No. Uh Evan Chandler, Barry Rothman's dentist, who was Jordy, Michael Jackson's alleged victim's father, he died by suicide after trying to team up with Barry and extort 20 million out of Michael Jackson. Barry's still alive at that point. And then Barry. No, I mean the dentist. Barry goes to the dentist and he dies. Barry goes to the dentist, but Barry doesn't die until 2018, right after the fraudulent loan was obtained from Mm -hmm. Bank of California. So what really happened was that Barry Rothman did go to the dentist. He went home to his new wife. And he basically dies of like a heart attack or a stroke. He was not a man who was healthy. He had diabetes. He had had some heart issues in the past. I have his death certificate. It had nothing to do with being in the dental chair. Okay. Nothing like that. He was an unhealthy person. But how that story got spun is kind of interesting. The How the rumor got out, how we found out so fast that Barry died was because the investigators, whether it was the FBI investigators or the corporate security investigators, they interrogated my colleague who was very close, close to Barry. They were friends. 
He's the one who got referred the deal. Yeah. In the interrogation, they looked at him and for shock value, because they're just trying to get something out of him, like, were you involved in this? They looked at him in the eye and they're like, and you know, Barry Rothman's dead, right? You know, your friend's dead, right? Uh, and he's like, wait, what? And he like, he got chills and they told him, yeah, he went to the dental chair and he died. My colleague comes out of this interrogation. That's when his face was super white. <laughs> and that's when he goes and eventually tells us, do you guys guess what? Barry Rothman's dead and he died in the dental chair. <laughs> it was really corporate security or the FBI. I can't remember which one it was who spun that to try and use it to get more information out of my colleagues. So it's like, he, did, he, he Mary Carroll did not kill Barry Rothman. I'm pretty positive of that, but it was pretty crazy. So that is really the story, um, you know, subsequent to that in, um, of course, the bank is out 15 million. The insurance company denies their claim. So now the bank's like, well, fuck, we need our 15 million. Um, the, uh, law enforcement gets involved. Like I said, FBI was involved. Mary Carroll does. There is a Los Angeles grand jury in 2019 who does end up indicting Mary Carroll on like six federal charges. So, but guess what? Mary Carroll has never spent a day in a Los Angeles court because she is still nowhere to be found in 2023. This is five years later. Uh, she's on the run. She's a wanted person because she has federal charges that she has not answered to. Um, my investigation, she, I, you know, I'm pretty she's sure. Probably out of the country with yes, the gifting program. Doing her gifting program. And interestingly, and I'll do some updates on Dirty Money Moves because you can imagine when we, when the podcast came out about Mary Carroll, people just came out of the woodwork and I was getting DMS and emails oh, daily, cool. daily, daily. Like, Oh my God, I know her. I keep my name anonymous. Here's what I know. Oh my God. I know where she is. This is where she's at. I know that. So it was just all this stuff came flooding in to piece together the story. And I can confidently say, I'm, in, I'm almost positive that she's in the United Arab Emirates whether it's Abu Dhabi, I don't know if she's in Dubai, she's like in that area. But um, she's a wanted person. And I've been in touch with the FBI. I, I've spoken to the investigator who's in charge of her case a couple of times. And um, we'll see what happens. She's on the run. Mm. And that's my Mary Carroll story. And Mary Carroll is the reason that bitch is the reason that I'm a full time podcaster today and don't any longer work in the corporate world. Well, that was fascinating. Interesting. <laughs> that was really fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, here at the, when you got towards the part where, and they lost their jobs. I'm like, okay, so what else? Yeah. You're like, so, and that's where the story ends. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of a cool story to be like, like, okay. Jamie, you made a podcast on yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that um, there's a guy by the name of Jim Clemente. Jim Clemente, if you're oh, in, know. you yeah, know him. him. He's yeah. a retired FBI. He's very big in the true crime world and has his own successful podcast. He's part of this story too, because he was hired on as a talking head, like an expert on some of the shows that Mary Carroll's company produced, and he didn't get paid. Like she didn't fucking pay him. So, you know, um, I was at crime con in Los Angeles last year, which is a huge, you know, true crime convention. I saw Jim Clemente there. I know who he is. He doesn't know who I am. Cause I've listened to his podcast. Um, I went up to him, shook his hand and I was like, this is going to sound really bizarre, but are you familiar with the name Mary Carol McDonald? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I'm like, well, 
I'm producing a podcast about her because this, this, and that. And he's like, well, you know, she didn't pay people, but like, what else? Like, what do you, what do you mean a podcast about Mary Carol McDonald? And I just <laughs> looked at him and I said, there's actually a lot more to this. Like I just, to fast forward, I'm like, she's, I was able to track down that she has elicited illegally $50 million plus in scams. So she's not Anna Delvey. She's like Anna Delvey on steroids, $50 million plus that she was able to scam out of financial institutions, not just the one I worked at, out of her rich friends and colleagues, out of like she, her gifting program, like she. What's up with Anna Delvey, by the way, getting her own show and. I hate okay, so everything about it. I don't know anything about her. Oh. I actually am in, so when I'm not producing documentaries that I'm working on, I don't watch true crime because my focus is purely on the subject that I'm working on. Sure. I, I yeah, really makes sense. am hyper-focused. Yeah. And to decompress, I watch Real Housewives, which by too. the way, I'm obsessed with Real Housewives of New, New York. York. Oh, we got to oh. talk about it. We need to do a bonus. Well, there's also some true crime in Housewives, but we need to do like a little fun bonus thing. Cause I, I imagine some of our listeners watch the housewives. I knew who Jenna Lyons was Jenna fucking Lyons. I, I knew Jen- who she was back Icon. in the day. The, Yes. Icon. Well, okay. I digress. Right. Um, anywho, I don't know anything about Anna Delby. Uh, yeah. I, her accent is unique. Um, she was, she was a scam artist, but like she got her own series, you know, about her who's producing series that? on, who's producing that? so I'm you have to, it, it was, it was great. It, I forgot what it's called, oh, but it was a scripted series about Anna Delvey on Netflix. Okay. But Mary Carroll is Anna Delvey on steroids. Like Anna Delvey was able to get some money she from has hotels. An Instagram? And, yeah. Anna Delvey has a She's Instagram. IG famous. Oh, oh she's loving it. People like I think she's one love million her. followers. Yeah. And she's a scam artist. 100%. She she's leaning into it now. So it's her brand is being a scam artist? Pretty much. <laughs> and a snob. For no reason. It's not like she even has like money, but how Anna Delvey tricked New York's party people, the cut. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm just she... going to go to just her Instagram real quick. Yeah. It's and... pretty interesting. I don't follow her. I don't, maybe I do. I've seen some of her stuff, but I think her, it's reposted. Her on handle TikTok. is the Anna Delvey. Oh yeah. Purchase my artwork. Yes. So <laughs> <and> cool. <laughs> Wow. It's a whole brand then. Um, so, uh, so I guess her last name is Sorkin. Yes. Anna Sorokin or Sorokin something like that. Calls out reporters who treat her like she's crazy during surprise <laughs> lecture in Columbia journalism students who say she doesn't sound anything like Netflix, Anna. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was a okay. really great series. Anyhow. I highly recommend, but I, when I'm trying to describe Mary Carol McDonald, I'm yeah. like, she's like Anna Delvey on steroids. Cause she got buku, buku, buku money over decades, and it's just bizarre. Okay, it was reported in Variety, which is the um, the entertainment, te- like the entertainment sure. news portion. Or how you, how would you say that? It's Variety is a great magazine for people in the entertainment business. Right. So I'm pulling this up. Ex-convict yeah. Anna. Uh, Sorkin to film reality series Delvey's Dinner Club during house arrest. Yeah, no, she was like 
famous, like people like are, it's okay that she's a scam artist. Like the people are just fascinated by her. So. Okay. So the series comes from Courtney White and Butternut. I'm not, these are not brands that I'm familiar with in this. You have to watch the series. Okay. I'll watch and it. And we can chat should about we, it. Should we? We can cover it. We should cover it. Yeah, we can totally cover it. I think it's a great, great story. And people I think are fascinated it merges by it. the two worlds that we yeah. live in. She's a female um, perp. So final thoughts on, you know, just this Mary Carol, do you think she'll be caught? Like, are we going to see, I really want to see her do a perp walk. I know a lot of people who want to see her do a perp walk. Um, will that ever happen? I guess, um, you know, we cover so many crimes where there is a more serious, there there's, death there's murder nobody was murdered nobody was murdered um there's there were some traumatized you know she lost her sister but she wasn't murdered maybe she should come back and get her own reality show that she produces can you imagine and a lot of people ask too like you alluded to in the beginning like i'm almost positive that mary carol knows that i did a podcast about her i'm almost positive because all these people that who were in her inner circle Mm -hmm. and outer circle like came forward like they, the the news spread fast that somebody was investigating Mary Carol and they're like oh my god finally because mm-hmm. these people it just like took over their world for so long it's so like I know maybe I'm desensitized because I'm like okay she's out in the world she's not murdering anybody all right whatever well, how old is she now now she's in her 70s early uh, 70s last season of her life I'm like but the people that she treated like dog shit and mm-hmm. took their millions of dollars and there were divorces over this because the okay. financial strain okay, now you're bringing yeah. a human element to yeah, it versus, and that's the thing. I still go back to the bank didn't yeah it's hard for me to feel sympathy for a bank but when when you think about real victims and human victims that's a she forged situation. her own twin well, we son signature Oh. She she forged her own twin son's signature on a big loan, which then she didn't pay off. And so they got wrapped up into court for years and years. Wow. And they had financial devastation because of their mom as well. And again, okay. you, there's different levels. Like, you know, it's not like we have to compare like, oh, no. you've got to feel so sorry. She wreaked a lot of havoc on she people. Of people. And, and for me, the, I'm... I'm so invested in this because she came into the bank. I saw my colleagues get fired. I know what she did. She's a disgusting human being. And I'd rather see other perpetrators locked up before her. Trust me, there's murderers out there. There's cases, but I want, I, for my own satisfaction and so many other people I've talked to throughout this process, I want that bitch locked up. She deserves it. Vindication. Yeah. Yeah, And she's financially dangerous, you know. All right. Lie detectors. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah. I want to know. I actually want to know. I do too. Like, because this is such a different case where nobody was murdered, but that doesn't mean there aren't real victims. Sure. Sure. saying that. Yeah. Um, But curious on their thoughts. Yeah. You guys, lie detectors, tell us what you think about Mary Carroll. Do you think Barry Rothman was in on it? Uh, What do you think about the ties to the Michael Jackson scandal. What do you, you know, do you think that anybody from credit should have been fired? Do you think my colleagues should have been fired? Do you? Yeah. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Want to know everything. Thanks for listening. And Melissa, thanks for sitting through my long scam story. This was fun. I got to know. Good. (laughs) I had fun too. Bye. 
Hey, lie detectors, leave a five-star rating and drop your favorite lipstick in the review section because we lie detectors don't gatekeep. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Lipstick and Lies if you want to see behind the scenes and clips of us recording each episode and be a part of the lie detector community. Executive producers of Lipstick and Lies are Melissa Moore, myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. The podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Subscribe to Lipstick and Lies so you don't miss an episode. We all know that crime is usually a good old boys club, but sometimes the truth lies behind lipstick. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.